Hi, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter, and for this episode, we're talking flea beetles. How far they travel to find the first canola crops, what are the important differences between the two major species, and how to scout to make the spray decision. With me are... Hi, I'm uh, uh, Jim Tanty. I'm the Provincial Entomologist uh, for the Ministry of Agriculture in Saskatchewan. Keith Gobbert, Agronomy Specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. Part 1. How far will flea beetles fly for food? I asked Jim Tanzi this question. There's some concern that if, if a farmer is, has the first emerging canola crop in an area, how, how far will the flea beetles that are out and about uh, travel to get to that field? Yeah, it's a, that's a difficult question because it, it hasn't been specifically examined. Uh, there, there are anecdotal accounts, both from Europe uh, with philatrida populations there, uh, and from North America, flights well over 100 meters. I mean, there, there are anecdotal accounts of, of kilometers long flights. Uh, they have wings. They, they are good flyers. They're relatively light insects, so they can get, you know, they can push around by the wind as well. Uh, but I, I think uh, the, uh, um, the, the, the fundamental question is, you know, for, for early seeded canola, you know, how far are these animals going to come uh, to, to feed at that particular buffet? And, and I, I, I'm afraid I, I don't have a hard answer for that, uh, only that they are good flyers. Uh, they have the potential to move relatively large distances. Um, some work we've done in the past uh, uh, indicated that they would fly at, uh, at heights of six meters, so they are, they are decent flyers. Um, I think the concern if, uh, I mean, if you're the only game in town within smelling distance, uh, um, you know, with a new field of, of seedling canola, uh, that presents uh, a pretty irresistible target to these animals. They're, they're, they're sensitive to the, to the breakdown products of glucosinolates. Uh, so we're all familiar, familiar with glucosinolates. So uh, these, these break down when they're exposed to, uh, to an enzyme called myrosinase, and, and that's activated through, through damage. Um, so uh, this uh, uh, results in what's called the mustard oil bomb and the production of, of uh, uh, lightweight volatile compounds that can travel a fair distance. Um, the, uh, the flea beetles are really sensitive to these, uh, to these compounds and a uh, little switch goes off in their brain and they just can't resist. Uh, once they do arrive in the field, the males produce an aggregation pheromone. So that is, they're going to, uh, they're producing a, another chemical cue that's going to bring other members of that species in, uh, both males and females. So it's, uh, um, Bit of a bit of a uh, you know a, a two pronged uh, concentration of populations on, on a food source. I was going to ask you how they uh, whether they can see or smell, and so smell is the key. And then once they found this food source, they send out these pheromones to attract others. But so just back to the the glucosinolates, do the do the canola cotyledons or the the, the early plants are they uh, releasing this? This smell? The, the glucosinolates are produced by, by, by the living plants. So this is, um, it, it was, it, it evolved as a defense. It's thought against uh, uh, pathogens initially. And then, and then that, uh, you know, happened to become a, a defense against insects. Um, so over evolutionary time, uh, the, uh, the uh, flea beetles and other, you know, brassica specialists, uh, evolved uh, strategies to to take care of that toxin to either you know avoid it or sequester it or, or detoxify it. A natural insecticide, the glucosinolate, is actually attracting 
the flea beetles in this case. So it's backfiring. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as backfiring exactly. It's, it's more of an evolutionary arms race. Part two. What are the important differences between striped and crucifer flea beetles? Keith Gobert leads off this section with a few comments about striped. General agreement is that they come out early. They may eat a little more. And they're probably less sensitive to the seed treatment insecticides that we have access to right now. Yeah, and more than maybe. Uh, yeah, there's there's uh, there's lots of evidence that they're that they're uh, I don't want to say much less, but you know significantly less uh, sensitive to uh, both the neonics and the diamides. Jim talks about the population shifts from crucifer to striped ongoing in many parts of Western Canada. Uh, some work that uh, that uh, I did as a grad student in the in the Dossal lab at the University of Alberta. Uh, indicated that there, there, there are differences in uh, in their uh, uh, sensitivity to the uh, to the neonicotinoid uh, insecticide class, uh, and uh, that some of that work was followed up by Bob Elliott with AFC, who indicated that there are differences both you know supported what our findings uh, associated with neonics, and uh, also uh, indicated that there are differences in their responses to diamides. Uh, so that is. Uh, 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 Fortenza and Lumiderm, uh, that would be the class of insecticides in those ones. So uh, straight flea beetles it seems to be uh, a fair bit less sensitive to these insecticides and that was, we proposed that as a potential model for this for this shift. Um, I'm still convinced that that, that, that ha is having an effect. Uh, this was followed up by some work by uh, Julie Soroka et al. Uh, to look at uh, modeling uh, um, climate parameters because I mean historically the the, the straight flea beetle was was restricted to areas that were cooler and wetter um, going way back to the to the you know the 1930s that seemed to be where where um, uh, the crucifer flea beetle really got a beachhead in western Canada yeah, I, mean, I mean it's the first document the documentation of that animal is, is in the 1920s in Canada uh, straight flea beetle is also Eurasian uh, but it's it's been in North America for a fair uh, uh, a much longer time, you know, centuries really. Um, so um, it seemed that uh, local shifts in climate may be contributing to that. Um, I, I'm not certain with these recent, uh, you know, uh, very dry conditions in the spring and continue apparent continued spread of, of the straight flea beetle, um, which is uh, is the uh, the dominant factor. But uh, I'm going to say it's a little column A, a little column B. But it does seem like that shift is ongoing. Straight flea beetle continues to, to push south, and uh, and that's where we're at. Part three: scouting and management. I sit back while Keith and Jim work through this topic. So, Jim, the crops coming up, or at least that's the hope here in the next week or so. What are growers mm -hmm. going to look for in fields that might have a problem with flea beetles? Yeah, the, the flea beetles, uh, despite our, our, our previous discussion about, about flight and, and their potential to, uh, to uh, invade fields that way, uh, the, the, the current thinking is, is still that the, the bulk of crop invasion is going to be by hopping or walking. Uh, so it's, it's going to be damage on field edges because they're, they're going to be primarily inva invading from field edges. So look for, look for damage there associated with the flea beetles. And they have fairly characteristic damage because they're 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 going to be you know sitting on the cotyledon and scraping away at the scraping away at the plant and uh, that's going to result in these these shot holes, uh, which are which are quite distinctive, um, um, really quite characteristic of these animals. So look for those. 
So the action threshold is 25%, meaning when those shot holes cover 25% of the accumulated leaf area. Why is this the one insect that we have an action threshold and then an economic threshold at 50%, which is twice the damage? Oh, that's that's actually more more common than uh, than not. Uh, and well, the reason the reason being with uh, with uh, with flea beetles uh, and, as with other insects is uh, if if you get to a field site and and you you notice this twenty five percent damage to you know cotyledons and 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 the first true leaves, um, yeah, a that's the most sensitive uh, stage of the plant to this type of feeding, and b if flea beetles are present and still feeding. Uh, it's all it's a numbers game. So these these animals can continue to inflict a lot of damage to these plants and they can do it in an awful hurry. So if you're at this 25%, it's time to move. And uh, the reason being is that once you get to 50%, which can occur pretty quickly, uh, is when you're going to start seeing an economic hit. And how much of a difference do you think the plants stand, the number of plants and the size of the plants that are there make for this particular insect pest? The more seeds uh, you have, you know, your, the greater your stand establishment, um, the uh, the less any individual plant is going to be picked on by by a, you know specific number of flea beetles. So, so the real goal is to have enough of a buffet, well set out that a few bites can hurt you on your canola field. Exactly. Can you describe the opposite where they're likely going to have to do a foliar wrap? Yeah, I think we saw that last year. I mean, you know, the stars aligned very badly for for some growers last year, early in the spring. So we had, uh, you know, poor soil soil moisture in some conditions. We had, uh, you know, of course, dry conditions. Uh, you know, heavy flea beetle pressure coupled with freezing temperature temperatures at night. So I mean, there was there was frost damage coupled with flea beetle damage, and and that didn't work out very well uh, for some uh, for some uh, uh, for some seedling canola. Um, yeah, hot, dry conditions. Of course, these these animals' uh, uh, activity is dictated by temperature. Uh, so you know, warm and dry, they really like, and uh, they're going to be very active and feeding feeding very vigorously. Uh, of course, reduced moisture. You know, the plant stand isn't going to establish as quickly, and and it's going to have difficulty taking up the uh, the seed treatment as well. I mean, if the plant isn't actively growing and and pulling that moisture up. Uh, you know they, these insecticides are systemic, uh, so it's uh, you know to, to get through the plant it needs to be uh, you know you, you need some activity of, of of that water. So, any experience with stem feeding is that something growers should also be scouting for, or should it be a concern? Yeah, it it, it should. It's uh, it's um, it's a subject of pretty rich discussion right now. Um, so under you know cool or windy conditions. Uh, um, um, the flea beetles will actually hunker down close to the soil, um, you know, so, so as to avoid being being blown away by, by windy conditions. But you know, under cool and and sometimes moist conditions, they'll hunker down, uh, and they still need to eat. So they'll 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 feed preferentially on the stems. Um, the actual relationship between stem damage and yield loss is not well understood. Um, I mean, canola is a very plastic plant, so. Uh, a little stem damage shouldn't uh, shouldn't uh, uh, um, diminish a plant too badly, but uh, often you'll see uh, uh, seedlings completely cut off. So yeah, under under cool or or moist or or windy conditions, that can be a concern. To conclude, Jim explains when we can expect flea beetle pressure to taper off. The adults are relatively long lived. Uh, I mean, they're going to keep going until June. 
and when the plants outgrow the risk. Once they're, you know, four to six uh, leaf stage, they're, they're pretty tolerant of foliar feeding. Uh, and you're not, you probably shouldn't see a, a yield hit with flea beetle damage. Keith wraps up with a concluding statement. Flea beetles are the biggest potential insect pest for canola in Canada. And the reason that they rank that high is that someone, some region in Western Canada, always has a significant problem with flea beetles each spring, and we can't predict it. So until we can predict it, or until we have tools that really easily manage it well, you just need to get out and scout and continue to worry about this particular insect pest. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Jim. For more on flea beetle management, including eight steps to make the spray decision, please see the flea beetle chapter in the insects section at canolaencyclopedia.ca. For more canola agronomy tips, visit canolawatch.org. Canola Watch is a research-based agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada in cooperation with the Provincial Canola Grower Associations, SAS Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.